Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 190 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Saturday, July 9th, 2022. Coming up, Americans trust in government, media, and other major institutions nosedives to a record low. Gee, I wonder why. It is Information Overload Saturday on the Doc Washburn Show. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, no matter what Sean Hannity says. And I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners, most Republican politicians refuse to mention. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Okay, I want to start with a recent assassination of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and why I think the alleged murderer had help. But first... Here's what President Trump said about Abe, and I quote, Really bad news for the world. Former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is dead. He was assassinated. His killer was captured and will hopefully be dealt with swiftly and harshly. Few people know what a great man and leader Shinzo Abe was, but history will teach them and be kind. He was a unifier like no other, but above all, he was a man who loved and cherished his magnificent country, Japan. Shinzo Abe will be greatly missed. There will never be another like him, unquote. Okay, here's the deal. The Japanese government has an organization called the Security Police. Now, their job is just like the job of the American Secret Service. They protect current and former Japanese prime ministers. Our Secret Service protects current and former presidents of the United States and their families. Sadly, we've had a number of assassination attempts of American presidents, four of them successful. Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley, and John F. Kennedy. But no president has been assassinated in the United States for almost 60 years. On the other hand, I researched this, and I couldn't find any record of a Japanese prime minister, whether serving or former, who was ever assassinated. These guys get paid to make sure this cannot happen. The security has to be unbelievably tight, whether you're talking about the Secret Service in America or the security police in Japan. Uh, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I used to do a morning radio talk show for Clear Channel in Panama City, Florida. And back in, I can't remember, was, I think it's 2011, we found out that Michelle Obama was coming to the Panama City area. 
and I found out where she was going to be. She's going to give a speech here. She's going to talk to some leaders of the community here, and if there's time, she's going to be at a uh, particular ice cream parlor. She'll show up at an ice cream parlor uh, right across the highway from the beach at a particular time. So I had a crazy idea. I was going to go there and ask her an embarrassing question. And so I was unmarried at the time. I talked to a uh, female salesperson at the radio complex into going with me and posing as my significant other. And so we had this plan. We were going to meet at Chick-fil-A about a mile and a half away from the ice cream parlor. Then we are going to go to the ice cream parlor and get there before Michelle Obama showed up, and I was going to ask her this embarrassing question. So um, it was almost 3.30 in the afternoon. I hadn't had any lunch. I was starving. I said, look, let's go to the Subway sandwich shop a few doors down from the ice cream parlor. i got to get a sub and some chips. I'm just about, you know. Well, I'm real hungry, but we can't talk about anything about what we're planning to do when we're at the subway a few doors down from the ice cream parlor. Okay. Okay. Right. So we met at the Chick-fil-A. I either got in her car or she got in my car. I don't remember. And we're dressed like uh, people on vacation at the beach. And as you go to the subway, and I get my sub, my chips, and of course, what do we do? We talk about what we're planning to do at the ice cream parlor a few doors down when Michelle Obama shows up. So after I finished my sub and my chips, the young lady with me said, hey, did you notice that guy that just ran out the door? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? The only other guy in the subway shop who had been sitting three booths away from us listening intently to everything we said. Oh, great, I said. She's like, yeah, he ran out to the parking lot, and he's standing there hanging in the window of that car talking to the other guys in that car. I'm like, oh, great. I'm like, well, we're just going to keep walking down the sidewalk and not even go to the ice cream shop. So I'll tell you what happened, but the point of it was the security is so tight then an hour before the first lady shows up, they got somebody sitting at a Subway sandwich shop a few doors down from the ice cream shop, even though nobody's supposed to know she's going to the ice cream shop, just on the off chance somehow somebody with the Panama City Beach Police let the word out and somebody's planning on doing something. That's how tight the security is. So... Young man gets out of the car, runs over to the parking lot where we are. I mean, runs through the parking lot to the uh, sidewalk where we are. Starts making small talk, says, hey, I'm from out of town. Is there a good place to eat around here? And I'm trying to tell him about a place about a mile away, whatever. And we're laughing and talking. And um, I guess he determined we weren't terrorists, that we meant Michelle Obama. You know, no physical harm or anything like that. And there was a newspaper box there. It was back in the days when you sell newspapers in boxes. And the gal with me had put some money in 
to buy the daily paper with Michelle Obama on the cover because she was in town. She's on the front page. And um, so the guy who was obviously Secret Service said, well, you might want to hang around. There's somebody pretty famous showing up in a few minutes. And the gal with me said, yeah, I, I know Michelle Obama's in town. And he's like, I can either confirm nor deny. And we're like, no, that's cool. So he runs back out to talk to the guys in the car. And I tell the, the gal with me, okay, we'll go in the ice cream shop. That guy seemed cool. And then he walks in the ice cream shop, and I had a pang of conscience. I'm like, gee, I don't want to get this guy in trouble. So I start to go over to his table. He's like, excuse me, you, you, you can't get in my line of sight between me and the car. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I just wanted to give you my business card. Yeah, I'll come over in a minute. Oh, okay, so he comes over. I give him my business card. which says Fox News Radio 94.5 WFLA, Doc Washburn, morning talk show host. And I said, sir, I'm a, I'm a radio talk show host. I just want to let you know who I am. And um, I don't want to get you in any trouble. So um, just say the word and we'll leave right now. He's like, no, hang around. This will be a lot of fun. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so... By this time, they have told the owner of the ice cream shop what's up. And I'm telling a young lady with me, um, okay, Michelle Obama, when she shows up, will have to talk to us because the only people here right now are the, the guy that owns the ice cream shop, a lady with two little girls, the Secret Service agent, and us. She'll have to say something. A few minutes later, a whole bunch of people flooded in, like uh, White House interns and photographers and uh, the media reporters and stuff. Still, we're the only civilians there, other than the uh, ice cream shop owner and the lady with two little girls. And in a few minutes later, more SUVs are rolling in, and I see three people on the outside of the plate glass window we're just looking amazed that I happen to be there. Three people that I know, the mayor of Panama City Beach, the um, head of the um, Bay County, Florida County Commission. In Arkansas, you call him the county judge. And the head of the Tourist Development Commission for Panama City Beach. And they're like, what is Doc doing? How do you know? Because they just found out five minutes earlier where they're going. So um, the Michelle Obama comes in. And she goes over and buys some ice cream, and the young lady with me is taking pictures, taking video, and all this kind of stuff. She's so excited, sitting there at the table with me, saying, gee, maybe I can get her to autograph the front page of the newspaper. And a very tall, mean-looking Secret Service guy standing right behind her says, no, she's not going to autograph anything. And at that point, the young lady with me just gets kind of shaken up and puts her cell phone down on the table. See, the plan was for her to videotape me asking Michelle Obama a question. That goes out the window. So I decide, well, I'm going to go through with, with my part. Maybe somebody else will be videotaping. So Michelle Obama comes over with her uh, bowl of chocolate ice cream. 
And she says, uh, hey, hate to interrupt you while you're eating your ice cream. And I'm like, no, that's okay, Ms. Obama. It's good to see you. Look, something I've always wanted to know, uh, what does white folks greed run a world in need mean? She's like, what are you talking about? I said, oh, you know. Reverend Jeremiah Wright's statement that your husband made the centerpiece of his book, The Audacity of Hope. And she said, well, as I'm sure you know, we severed ties with Reverend Wright quite some time ago. And it's not like Barack could be raised by a white mama and a white grandmama and think all white people are greedy. And then her eyes kind of narrowed, and she said, is there anything else you need me to explain to you? I said, no, I was just wondering about that. And I looked across at the young lady who was posing as my significant other and said, honey, you're supposed to be videotaping this. Oh, I'm sorry. So Michelle Obama said, well, look, you at least take a picture of us together. And she put her arm around me. So I was able to stand up, put my arm around her, which if I touched her first, I'm sure I'd have gotten slammed to the ground, but you know. And so that's how we got the, the picture of Doc Washburn with Michelle Obama. That's on my Facebook. If you look back through the pictures and stuff and she does not look happy because it's starting to dawn on her. This guy is pranking me. But anyway, the point of it is, I can't imagine that the Japanese version of Secret Service has anything less than the tight security the American Secret Service has, and yet their beloved former prime minister, longest-running prime minister in the history of Japan, was just assassinated. And you look at the videotape, and it just doesn't look like security is on the ball. It just doesn't look like security has any concerns. They certainly are not paying attention to the perimeter because the guy was hanging around closer than he should have been allowed to get. And it looks like even after for the first shot, they're not trying to tackle the guy until after he gets off the second shot. So call me skeptical, okay? Call me skeptical. It just... It just doesn't add up. And by the way, while we're at it, you know, um, the country, the island, the nation of Japan has uh, strict gun control. You can't own a gun in Japan. I mean, you can't. It's not like New York or Chicago or someplace where you have to jump through all kinds of hoops. There aren't enough hoops. You can't own a gun in Japan. And yet this guy assassinated the prime minister, the beloved prime minister of Japan, with a gun. So go ahead. Go ahead, all you gun control freaks. Tell me uh, Tell me what, uh, what gun control laws would have uh, kept that from happening. Yeah, it's, uh, I just think that, um, I think the fix was in. You know, every time an American president has been assassinated, 
The Secret Service does an in-depth investigation of what went wrong, trying to make sure it never went wrong again. And, and look, I got to tell you, last thing in the world, my coworker and I expected when all we were going to do is go to an ice cream parlor and ask Michelle Obama an, uh, an embarrassing question is that way before she ever shows up, a Secret Service agent is sitting in a subway shop several doors down just on the off chance somebody might show up and spill the beans on what he's getting ready to do, whether it's something violent or, or not. Because nobody was supposed to know she was going to be there. I mean, the local politicians who showed up as the members of her entourage didn't even know that they were going to be there until five minutes before it happened. So I'm just not buying this thing of, oh, well, it was just an unlucky break that the prime minister of Japan, or the former prime minister, actually he was a, um, he had resigned due to health reasons uh, a couple of years ago, and now he was, he had, apparently uh, his health was better, and he had run and won a post as a, uh, a congressman a member of the Japanese House of Representatives, and he was running for re-election three days before an election. I just don't believe that was an innocent mistake. The, the, the videos are, are too clear for me. Anyway, um, Jordan Boyd over the Federalist has a short article entitled Americans Trust in Government, Media, and Other Major Institutions Nosedives to Record Low. And today on Information Overload Saturday on the Doc Washburn Show, I think I'll probably just be giving you one example after another why that is. Here's what he says. A new report from Gallup, which is probably oldest polling organization in America, found confidence in major U.S. institutions such as the government, media, law enforcement, and big tech is at a record low and has not improved at all since last year. Of the 16 institutions Gallup measured Americans' confidence in, Congress ranked the worst, with only 7% of those surveyed claiming they trusted the legislative body. That's a five-point drop since their poll last year. So they went from 12% approval to 7%. The presidency and the U.S. Supreme Court also lost a noteworthy amount of Americans' trust since last year. While the presidency clocked 38% confidence last year and Supreme Court received 36% confidence last year, both branches of government dropped into the low to mid-20s this year. Specifically, the court had a 25% vote of confidence with Americans before the Dobbs versus Jackson decision overturning Roe v. Wade was released. And the presidency held 23% of Americans' trust. Yeah, yeah, 81 million votes in 2020, right? Come on, give me a break. I'll never call him president. That's even lower than Joe Biden's current 38% approval rating. Other institutions such as church or organized religion, 31%. Criminal justice system, 14%. Big business, 14%. Newspapers, 16%. Police, 45%. Marked their lowest 
votes of confidence since the 1990s, according to Gallup. Americans have also significantly lost trust in the media. All, only 11% of those surveyed said they have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in television news. That confidence goes up to 16% with newspapers, but much like the TV news category, it's still down five points from last year. Trust in the media is drastically split along partisan lines. While only 8% of Republicans and 8% of independents say they still have faith in TV news, 20% of Democrats reported confidence in broadcast media. When it comes to newspapers, only 5% of Republicans and 12% of independents say they have confidence compared to 35% of Democrats. Only small businesses and the U.S. military seem to have captured more than 50% of Americans' vote of confidence. So that's Jordan Boyd over the Federalist article entitled Americans Trust in Government, Media, and Other Major Institutions Nosedives to Record Lows. And we've got just one example after another. Now, let me give you the first one here. Again, at the Federalist, John Daniel Davidson, article entitled, Greg Abbott's New Executive Order on the Border Crisis is Less Than It Appears to Be. Because when this um, Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, when the executive order came down the other day, a lot of people were applauding this. But there's more. Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued an executive order Thursday seemingly designed to put pressure on the Biden administration to take the border crisis seriously and enforce federal immigration law, but the likely result of the governor's action will not be a reduction in illegal immigration. It will be a federal lawsuit against Texas. Governor Abbott's order directs the Texas National Guard and the Texas Department of Public Safety to apprehend illegal immigrants who illegally cross the border between ports of entry and return them to the border. Okay, what does that mean? It does not mean that Texas law enforcement will be expelling illegal immigrants to Mexico as some Texas counties have called on Governor Abbott to authorize. In practice, it means that Texas state troopers and National Guardsmen whom Abbott has already deployed to the border as part of Operation Lone Star, will now be authorized to arrest illegal immigrants near the border and transport them directly to the nearest port of entry. What will happen once they get there remains to be seen. Ports of entry are run by U.S. Customs and Border Protection, and under normal circumstances, illegal immigrants arrested by state or local law enforcement will be picked up by Border Patrol officers or Border Patrol agents and transported to a Customs and Border Protection processing facility. That is, state and local law enforcement don't usually transport illegal immigrants anywhere. They simply assist Border Patrol and Customs and Border Protection agents because it's the federal government's job to enforce federal immigration law, not the state's. But under Abbott's rule, that will apparently change. Texas troopers and National Guardsmen will be arresting illegal immigrants and transporting them directly to the border to ports of entry inside Texas that are run by U.S. Customs and Border Protection. 
As of this writing, it's unclear whether Customs and Border Protection will cooperate with state law enforcement officials in this scheme or what the reaction of federal border officials will be at ports of entry when Texas state troopers show up with a busload of illegal immigrants. One obvious problem with this plan, aside from a lack of federal cooperation, is that there's really no place to process or house more than a handful of people at these port of entry facilities. Even the larger ports of entry, such as the one in Laredo, Texas, can only house a few dozen people at most, and not for long periods of time. All of this would suggest that Governor Abbott's executive order is more of a legal strategy than an operational shift in border enforcement, one that's designed not to expel illegal immigrants or reduce illegal immigration, but to provoke the Biden administration into a legal battle with Texas. Why would Abbott want the Biden administration to sue? Because the Biden administration's refusal to secure the border and enforce federal immigration laws has provoked an ongoing debate about the extent of state authority to police the border in the face of federal inaction. If Governor Abbott can show in federal court that he is operating within the law and the Constitution and actually get a federal court to agree, then it would not only protect individual state troopers and National Guardsmen from potential prosecution by the Department of Justice, it might also open up new avenues for border enforcement at the state level. Anyway, that's one theory. There are others. Governor Abbott's order comes on the heels of a declaration issued by a half dozen Texas counties in one city earlier this week that the border crisis is an invasion under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 of the United States Constitution, which says states can't conduct foreign policy or engage in war, quote, unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit delay, unquote. These local officials believe that Texas has been actually invaded and the Governor Abbott has the constitutional authority to order state law enforcement to arrest and expel to Mexico any foreign national arrested for illegally crossing the border with or without the permission of federal authorities. And the locals are not alone in this belief. Former Trump administration officials Russ Vaught and Ken Cuccinelli have argued the same thing as has Attorney General of Arizona Mark Brinovich. Vaught and Cuccinelli issued a statement Thursday after Governor Abbott's order came out saying the governor's policy falls short and because it does not authorize Texas law enforcement to expel illegal immigrants directly to Mexico, it is still catch and release. They said this in their um, official press release from their organization called Center for Renewing America. Now, Mr. Davidson, John Daniel Davidson over the Federalist said, technically they're right, Abbott's order, like Operation Lone Star, won't do anything to change the fundamental policies in play on the border. Catch and release, whereby illegal immigrants are arrested after crossing into the U.S., processed and then released pending a county hearing, will still still be in place after Abbott's order goes into effect. Abbott's critics, he says, including me, have faulted him for a lack of boldness and imagination in the border crisis, for taking a too-cautious approach, 
to a too important issue. A strategy designed to provoke a legal fight in federal court, for example, might not be the worst idea, but it reflects Abbott's process-bound legal mindset on what is fundamentally a political issue, one that could threaten his legitimacy as governor, at least among his erstwhile supporters in the Republican Party. Well, I don't know about that. He just won the Republican primary to get reelected governor with two-thirds of the votes. So I don't know. Anyway, he says the risk for Abbott is not just that his legal gambit fails, but that his own fellow Texas Republicans perceive his return to the border language as a kind of sleight of hand, a shell game designed to make Texans think he's doing something big and bold, when in fact nothing much on the ground is really changing. Indeed, so far nothing Abbott has done has changed the fundamental dynamics at the border. Every month sets a new record for arrests of illegal border crossers with nearly 240,000 arrests recorded in May, an all-time record. The blame for that, of course, lies squarely with President Biden, whose administration has released more than a million illegal immigrants into the country since he took office. But at some point, Abbott, as governor of the state, where the vast majority of these illegal crossings are taking place, will bear some responsibility for failing to take sufficient action to defend his state. A growing chorus of criticism from policy experts, lawyers, local officials, and ordinary Texans suggests that the politics of the border crisis might have already overtaken Abbott and that whatever legal stratagems he has in mind might well be too little too late. Well, yeah, but, I mean, he's probably going to be governor for another four years because he won the Republican primary, and there's no way... Beto is going to beat him. So. But yeah, too little too late as far as dealing with the situation. Yeah. And, you know, we, we don't talk about the border crisis nearly enough. But I've got more coming up on it. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. Sometimes I get comments on the live stream. Most people listen to the Doc Washburn show after the fact at their leisure as a podcast, but some folks listen to the live stream. And usually the comments are very... um, perceptive and thought-provoking and compelling. But um, today I have one that just has me scratching my head about the uh, assassination of Shinzo Abe. One person says, so what does the killing of a low-level politician by a crazy person 8,000 miles and an ocean away have anything to do with us? Okay, um the longest-running prime minister of the country of Japan, a major ally of ours, one of the few world leaders to stand by Donald Trump. I'm not sure how this person thinks that's a low-level politician. That's interesting. Well, bless his heart. Uh, (laughs) Immediately, Donald Trump has a a, a tribute, a, a eulogy, to one of the few world leaders that stood with him against the globalists. And I've got a listener thinking he's a low-level politician. Longest-running 
prime minister in the, in the history of Japan. Oh, well, bless your heart. I, uh, I, I can't call it, fam. I can't call it. Now, coming up, um, coming up, I've got a, uh, hmm, trying to remember what this was. I got some audio here that I, uh, oh, I remember what it is now. Okay. So coming up, I have a um, have some audio from a press conference earlier this week at the um, at the border from a former administration of the uh, a former official of the Trump administration that was a high ranking member of the Trump administration, but it, it was difficult for me to find out exactly who he was because Wikipedia didn't want me to know who he was. I'll explain it all. I'll explain it all here in a minute. Anyway, um, we're so thankful for our advertisers, our friends, our advertisers, for making it possible for us to do what we do here every day. God bless people like this one. If you tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guide you through a few easy questions, and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? 
or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement, call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. And thank you so much. Thank you so much to our friends, our advertisers, Jonathan Presswood over at Edward Jones, and uh, Mitch Ward, RedRiverYorward.com. Appreciate you all so much. All right, now, that having been said, are you familiar with a guy named uh, Brandon Judd? He's the head of the uh, National Board Patrol Council. And he was one of several people who spoke earlier this week at a press conference on the border about the invasion. And I knew when I saw him in the clip, I'm like, man, this guy looks familiar. And eventually somebody asked him, hey, would you please identify uh, your, your, your name and, uh, and your title? And I guess he missed the part about identifying name, and he just gave the title. And so I looked it up. And... Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what happened when I when I got to that part because it was uh, it was surreal because Wikipedia acted like the guy didn't exist. Didn't didn't want me to know who this was. So anyway, it, it starts out with a female reporter from Germany who is no fan of Joe Biden asking a very pointed question to the group of concerned office holders and former office holders who are very concerned about the the horrible situation on the border, about the invasion on the border. And so Brandon Judd is the guy who, uh, who stands up and takes a shot at her question, and he just he was killing it. This is less than 10 minutes long. I'll give it to you with uh, limited interruptions. I'll, I'll jump in when I have something to say. But this guy just nailed it. Home run. Uh, question here from uh, uh, yeah, Germany. Go right. Hi. Uh, first of all, thank you for 
thank you for uh, letting me be here. And I would uh, like to um, send this question to Mr. Morgan or Sheriff who can answer it. So this open border has created a child trafficking crisis like the world has never seen. This is the truth. Uh, doesn't this now make President Joe Biden one of the biggest child traffickers on this planet because he's not nothing doing. You you mentioned it three times that the federal government does nothing against us. You are seeing children going through your borders. I can ten days at the border seeing eighty seven children unoccupied from any adults coming to your country. So do you is this a yes or is this a no? Yeah, let, let, let me tell you about that. So Secretary Mayorkas gets out in Congress, lies, directly lies to members of Congress. He's lied to this man right here under oath. He's lied to the American people when he says, this is one of his sticks that he says out there, that they're developing a safe, orderly, and humane uh, system along the southwest border. Now, when he said he lied to this man right here under oath, he's talking about uh, U.S. Congressman Chip Roy from Texas who is at the meeting. It's a lie. It's a blatant lie. He knows it's a lie. Let me talk to you about Secretary Mayorkas and this administration's safe, orderly, humane system for the migrants themselves. Right now, under Biden administration's watch of a little 18 months, more than 800 dead migrants have been found at our borders. Joe Biden doesn't care. Kamala Harris doesn't care. Secretary Mayorkas doesn't care. Barack Obama doesn't care. Valerie Jarrett doesn't care. Susan Rice doesn't care. Jen Psaki doesn't care. Karine Jean-Pierre doesn't care. Susan Rice doesn't care. John Kerry doesn't care. George Soros, Klaus Schwab, none of them care. None of them care. Just pawns. 800 dead migrants. If you add in what all these gentlemen behind me uh, have discovered too, that number is exponentially higher. We have Doctors Without Borders, uh, a non-governmental organization that has said that up to 30% of young women and children are raped on, and sexually exploited on their journey up here. Border Patrol agents like this man right here spent 26 years of his life. He can attest. Border Patrol agents multiple times have interviewed uh, girls as young as 12 that have been raped multiple times on their journey up here. Tell me what the hell is safe and orderly humane about that. Parents and smugglers themselves give young women, 12, 14 year olds, they give them birth control and the morning after a pill on their journey because they're just expecting that they're going to be sexually assaulted on their journey up here. The Border Patrol in the past 18 months has conducted over 20,000 rescues. 20,000 rescues. They risk their own lives. Think, if they wouldn't risk their own lives, just take counting more dead migrants that we would have been found on the southwest border. And we haven't even talked about the trafficking. The trafficking, think about it. You don't have to be a border security expert. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that if you exponentially increase by three, four, five hundred percent illegal immigration, you're also increasing the atrocities suffered from human trafficking. The sheriff talked about that. Speaking of human trafficking, I'll say that video that came out recently uh, of uh, Hunter Biden harassing the Russian prostitute. Look terrified and very young. Let me say it again. Joe Biden doesn't care about human trafficking. 
His administration is acting like they're actually in cahoots with the cartels. A lot of these migrants coming because of this administration's promise to them that they're going to be released and never deported. They're coming. And they're being smuggled, but they don't understand. At the same time they're being smuggled, they're also being trafficked. They just don't know it's till it's too late. They'll pay five, $8,000 once they're released to the United States to get a knock on their door. It's a smuggler cartel. You know what? The price went up. I don't have it. No problem. Here's how you're going to work it off. That's happening every single day. So think about that. As the numbers this fiscal year alone, 1.5 million apprehensions. 1.5 million apprehensions. Last last year, 1.9 million. Last year, I'm sorry, 1.5 so far this fiscal year. Think about the number of young women and children now that have been sexually assaulted because of the open border policies. Think about the absolute expansion of human trafficking and atrocities because of this administration's open border policies. Why do you think that overwhelmingly Hispanic majority areas of border counties in Texas have flipped from overwhelmingly Democrat to overwhelmingly Republican. I mean, they're seeing how people who look like them are treated by this government. It's horrible. Think about the highest number of deaths in, in, in any 18 months of administration that we've experienced right now because of the open border policies. Because the smugglers, the cartels, and the migrants know under this administration, if you make it to the border, break into it illegally, you will be released into the interior of the United States, and you will not be deported. Why the hell aren't they coming? Of course they are. And one last thing I want to talk about, another question. Another thing we don't talk about, Right now, under this administration, 850,000 known gotaways. 850,000 that have broken into our country and evaded apprehension. Why? Because 80 to 90 percent of border patrol agents are pulled off the national security mission, off the front line. They're relegated to administration jobs, hospital walks, transportation, security, and processing. That's right, 80 to 90 percent. We have literally handed over operational control large areas of our southwest border to the cartels. And this secretary says the borders are closed. And again, Representative Roy, under oath, had the definition of, of operational control by law, which in part says the prevention of all unlawful entry. Yet that secretary said he has operational control at that moment, knowing that 800,000 illegal aliens have invaded apprehension and made it to every town, city, and state in this country. And those are the knowns. If you talk to border patrol agents, they'll say the the number of those have gotten away are, are, are way past of a million. There's nine states in, in in our country that only has about a million in population. Yet more that more illegal aliens have gotten away in the past 18 months. The nine states total population. And yes, here's the reality, and I, this is where I get my hate mail, but I'm not going to stop because just like these guys and gals have showed the courage and talked about their truth, the truth is, in that 850,000, there's some really bad people. There are murderers, rapists, pedophiles, and gang members. Every single day they're getting away, and they're making their way to every town, city, and state. How do I know that? Because Border Patrol has arrested about 19,000 criminals, including over 50 for murder. And every single day they're arresting a gang member or pedophile. So do the math. Think about 
about how many dangerous individuals are among the 850,000 Godaways. Yet this administration stands by and does nothing. They double down. They lie to the American people. They say our borders are secure. It's a lie. They, have, they, they say they have operational control. It's a lie. What you heard today from these courageous individuals right here, the first time, as, as, uh, as, as, as was said by, uh, by uh, uh, Ken, is that this is absolutely an invasion. And it's not just an invasion of people. Think about it. Drugs. We mentioned that. 107,000 Americans died from drug overdose in a 12-month period. That's more Americans than died from all the terrorist attacks combined, the Iraq, Afghanistan, and Vietnam wars combined. In a 12-month period, more Americans died. The leading cause of fentanyl from adults from 18 to 45 is fentanyl in this country. And we know that 95% of the fentanyl comes from our wide open southwest border. Hell yes, that's an invasion. And again, the 850,000 gotaways. We've been invaded by gang members, criminals. I mean, the list goes on. And let's not forget, it was briefly mentioned about our national security vulnerability. I worked in the FBI for 20 years. Let's not forget, in this fiscal year alone, 50 illegal aliens have been apprehended on the FBI's terror screening database. 50! Another record for this Biden administration. And, uh, by the way, by the way, uh, the feds were able to keep a mass shooting from happening, happening in Richmond, Virginia, but you haven't heard about that. He's getting ready to mention that, too, and I'll have this story coming up. They, they actually apprehended and released a suspected terrorist in the United States. It took them two weeks to figure it out and apprehend them. It took them eight months to answer my letter to DHS asking that question. Eight Can you repeat that? Eight months. Fifty. Fifty illegal aliens have been apprehended this fiscal year on the FBI's terror screening database. And a couple months ago, they released a suspected terrorist in the United States. It took them over two weeks to figure it out and apprehend him. It took them over eight months to accomplishment. I mean, that's outrageous. I, I was a commissioner. If, if, I, if I would have ignored Congress, I, I, I mean, I, I heard about it every single day. You don't just you just don't do that. And let's not forget, it barely made the news. The FBI just recently thwarted a terrorist attack where an illegal alien was in the country illegally, was planning to kill and assassinate a former president of the United States. And how was he going to do that? He was going to bring additional terrorists through the wide open southwest border. Mm. So, hell yeah, I'm proud to stand next to you guys on the stage. And I, believe, I agree with Ken. This is unprecedented, and this is courageous. This is an invasion. And I agree, and I've been out there, and I will continue, just as everybody back here. Governor Abbott has done more to fill the gap left by this administration abdication of their constitutional responsibility of the guarantee clause. Absolutely. And so has A.G. Paxton. I'm sorry. And so has Attorney General Ken Paxton is what he's talking about there. Anyway, this is where somebody interrupts and says, could you please identify yourself? We've just got a lot of folks with questions. Okay. I know some of y'all are still waiting for questions. Name and title real quick. Just a, a former commissioner of customs and border protection under, under Donald J. Trump. And okay, so when he said a former commissioner of um, customs and border protection under Donald J. Trump, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's the way I get the guy's name. So I go to uh, Wikipedia and I type in commissioner of... Um, Custom and Border Protections. So the current one comes up. A guy named Chris Magnus assumed office December 13th, 2021. Now, there's a very helpful feature on Wikipedia 
if you're looking at somebody who holds a particular office or used to hold a particular office, it will say who succeeded them, but also who preceded them, right? So Biden's commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, uh, Border Protection, didn't take office till December 13th, right? Just um, a few months ago. So he was preceded by Kevin McAleenan. Okay, so I click on Kevin McAleenan's name to get his page at Wikipedia. And lo and behold, he was commissioner of United States Customs and Border Protection until April 11th, 2019. So Wikipedia wants to think you to think that there was not a commissioner of United States Customs and Border Protection for over a year and a half. I, I had to do some research. They don't want you to know Brandon Judd exists. I've never seen anything like it that that blatant on um, on Wikipedia. If you actually type in Brandon Judd's name, it redirects to National Board Patrol Council and said he says he's the president of that organization, but it will not let you know what position he held in the Trump administration. I just thought that was weird. Anyway, uh, here's the last little bit. It's another thing. I know. I'll shove it a second here. So look, another thing <laughs> is that, that that we had the most secure border in our lifetime. And the first time, 35 years, I've served under six administrations, both Republican and Democrat. And the first time in my life, I've never seen it until this administration where they came and they intentionally, with, 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 with thought, unsecured our borders. That's what we have right now. I'll shove it. So no wonder... People don't trust our government because they unsecured our borders. And and what are, I mean, I get it. I get it that um, the Democrats have the White House and they have majority in the Senate and the House. I understand. But it's very frustrating because even when we have the White House and majority in the uh, in the House and the Senate, we don't take care of things like this, you know. And that's what's upsetting. So anyway. Oh, by the way, who, who was it? Somebody said, I don't remember who it was over on Twitter. Have you heard anything? Um, Houston Conservative Forum. Has anyone actually seen quadruple vaccinated Anthony Fauci since we heard he got COVID, which is over a week ago? John Cardillo said, great question. I wonder how he's doing. Because remember, he got COVID a you know a month or so ago. He's like, oh, it would have been so much worse if uh, I hadn't been uh, double vaxxed and double boosted. I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. Um, so you you know you wonder. Let me get to. Um, 
Let me get to the mass shooting that was averted by law enforcement, by illegal aliens, the one that uh, Brandon Judd, former Trump administration official, um, referred to. Breitbart has a story. Illegal aliens plotted July 4th mass shooting thwarted by American hero citizen. John Binder over at Breitbart says court records state the pair of suspects arrested for allegedly plotting to shoot up a 4th of July celebration in Richmond, Virginia, thwarted by an American citizen, are illegal aliens. On Wednesday, as Breitbart News reported, the Richmond Police Department announced the arrests of Guatemalan nationals, 52-year-old illegal alien Julio Alvarado Dubon and 38-year-old illegal alien Roman Balasarso-Ak for allegedly plotting a mass shooting at the city's July 4th celebration. Which is strange because I think most Guatemalans kind of like America. Anyway, according to uh, Richmond Police Chief Gerald Smith, Dubon and Ock's plan was thwarted thanks to an American hero citizen who overheard a conversation about the plot and subsequently called the police. Court records reviewed by the Associated Press identify both Dubon and Ock as illegal aliens living in the U.S., specifically Dubon have been living in the U.S. on an expired visa, as millions of people often do. The AP says police spokesperson Tracy Walker said both men are from Guatemala. Initial documents filed in General District Court in Richmond say both Alvarado Dubon and Balasarsal Ak are not in the U.S. legally. The documents which say Alvarado Dubon has an expired visa, did not include any details about the alleged plot. Now, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, otherwise known as ICE, confirmed to Breitbart News agents have lodged detainers on both illegal aliens so that they will be turned over to the agency for arrest and deportation when they are released from local police custody. Likewise, ICE agents confirmed that Ock is a twice-deported illegal alien who was previously deported in October 2013 and then later in August 2014. The American citizen who thwarted the mass shooting plot called police after he heard a man discussing a plan to shoot up Richmond's annual 4th of July celebration. That's when police raided Dubon's residence to find two rifles, a handgun, and 223 Rounds of ammunition. Dubon was subsequently charged with being in possession of a firearm as an alien in the U.S. After Richmond police reached out to the FBI, Smith said they put surveillance on Ock, who lived at the same residence as Dubon. Ock was then arrested and charged with being in possession of a firearm as an alien in the U.S. Smith said they will... They still do not have a clear motive as to why the pair allegedly sought to conduct a mass shooting on American citizens on July 4th. Smith said, there's no telling how many citizens this hero citizen saved with one phone call. 
One phone call saved numerous lives on the 4th of July in Richmond, Virginia. Dubon has been booked into the Richmond City Jail on a $15,000 bail. Really? Does he have to just give 10%? That's insane. Though police say Ock was also booked, his records do not appear on the city jail record. So, uh, obviously, he's already out. And this guy probably is now, too. Because this article is from uh, Thursday. It's kind of like the guys they, they caught with millions of dollars of fentanyl in uh, Southern California, and the L.A. Uh, district attorney let them out on their own recognizance. And now, good luck trying to find them. Good luck trying to find them. And you wonder why there's so little favorability. So little favorability for our major institutions. Oh my goodness, it's still going on. I shouldn't do this, but I will. So I started the show with the assassination um, of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, one of the few world leaders who was a close friend of our former President Donald Trump. And um, one of the commenters on a Podbean app said, so what does the killing of a low-level politician by a crazy person 8,000 miles and an ocean away have anything to do with us? And I just thought it was odd that the longest-running prime minister of a country that is a close ally of ours and one of the few world leaders that was a close friend of Donald Trump would be thought of as being a low-level politician by anybody. And um, I just said, bless your heart, because I just, I couldn't figure it out. And then the same person later commented, this is on the live stream. This is where we get the comments, not not the podcast when you're listening after the fact. Same person commented later saying, is it just me, or does attacking the person behind the question instead of answering it sound familiar? My goodness, I didn't realize I attacked anybody. And then... The person said, oh, I remember a leftist. Well, I think we all remember leftists. I'm not sure what that has to do with anything. But um, I guess I should have taken the, the, the question seriously, even though I don't think anybody else has it. You've stumbled onto a talk show for people who are curious and interested about what's going on in the world. So that would be the answer to the question. Um, coming up. It is Information Overload Saturday, and I'm just, I'm just getting started. We're having fun today. Let me once again express how thankful we are to our advertisers. I want to mention a couple of them to you. They make it possible for us to do what we do. Like my friend Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton. Now, Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer, founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he has sure helped me out with the three automobile accidents I've been in since 2019. The Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton 
and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a really good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who have been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. No matter what the injury, Justin Minton makes sure the Minton Law Firm always works hard for you. Whether you're in a car wreck, hurt of the job, or you or a loved one is suffering from the carelessness of another, if you're in Arkansas, Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton, is here to help you. Just call the Minton Law Firm, 501-943-4195, or visit justinmintonlaw.com today. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thanks so much again for our friends, our advertisers, my doctors, Dr. J.R. and Tanya Crabtree. Arkansas Circle Center, also my attorney, Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton. Good folks, good folks. A um, couple more sound bites here on uh, Information Overload Saturday. This was uh, some testimony given recently the Texas Legislative Committee on State Affairs regarding the vaccine. Have you seen any other vaccine that was put out for the public that skipped the animal test? Never before, skipped. especially for children. And as I've what I've read, they actually started the animal test, and because the animals were dying, they stopped the test. Correct, folks. I think that's important to understand there that that what we're talking about is the American people are now the guinea pigs. This is the test program that's going on. They they didn't do the human testing and they stopped the animal test because the animals were dying and then they turned it out for the public and we are now looking at businesses that want to mandate that this experimental vaccine be given to people as a condition of their employment and yet we have this death count that continues to rise and be totally ignored. That sounds familiar. 
Sounds familiar. The vaccine be mandated as condition of their employment. Yeah, that's what happened to me. That's why I lost my job, because I wouldn't take the clot shot, the death jab. I mean, I'd like to get back into radio at some point. We'll see. Maybe God will open the door for me. Maybe I could uh, do radio and the uh, and the podcast. If you're uh, the kind of fo- uh, folks that, that pray, kind of person that, that prays, if you could say a prayer about that, I appreciate it. I think I offer something on a daily basis on the podcast. Who knows? Maybe I would have something to uh, offer in in you know talk radio again. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, um, it is information overload Saturday, and let's see. Do we have Corinne Jean Jean Pierre? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Corinne Jean Pierre. Um, implied that Asian-American parents who are upset over colleges and universities having admission quotas that discriminate against their children Oh, she called them all kinds of awful names. Well, now, you know, it is the Biden administration, after all. And name-calling is something that liberals tend to kind of enjoy doing. So, anyway... Here's a question and answer. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. In October, uh, a case is supposed to be for the Supreme Court on affirmative action when it comes to education, admittance, admittance um, on race. And there is a thought that it could be overturned with the way this court has been overturning uh, long-standing action cases. What is the White House's thought on this, and is there a plan? Are you preparing for this as many law organizations are preparing amicus briefs, friend of court briefs, um, in favor of keeping these uh, admittance, racial admittance uh, procedures? So, April, the president has been very clear about these extreme decisions that the Supreme Court has been making. Uh, not just on Roe, but EPA uh, and others' decisions that have come down most recently. Uh, this is another one that you're talking about in, in October. Uh, look, the president has been also clear is that we have to take action. Uh, we that um, you know Americans have to make sure that they take their voices to the ballot box. Uh, that is the way that we are going to be able to uh, to fight back uh, in a way that's uh, effective, uh, in a way that's going to make a difference. We have Republicans who are doing extremes. The president calls them ultra-MAGA. They are part of the ultra-MAGA wing who are trying to take away the rights of the American people. So, nothing could be further from the truth, but again, never forget what I told you. Whatever the vetting process was to get a job with the Biden administration 
It was made clear you have to be willing to lie with impunity. You have to have the kind of uh, personality that you're not going to have trouble going to sleep at night having lied all day for the regime. And something very important for a con man, never give up the con. Never give up the con. No matter how much proof they throw out there, never admit there's a con. I mean, that's that's the deal. All right, now, had you heard about this? Army training says soldiers must shower with transgender persons of the opposite sex. Christina Wong Breitbart had just a couple of days ago an exclusive an Army training slide obtained by Breitbart News instructs soldiers to shower with transgender members of the opposite sex even if they have not undergone a surgical transition. The training slide offers a vignette instructing soldiers on what to do if they encounter a female soldier who identifies as male, according to the Department of Defense's personnel tracking system known as Defense Enrollment Eligibility Reporting System, otherwise known as DEERS, but has not surgically transitioned and still has female genitalia. Oh, this is just ducky. The slide, entitled Soldier-slash-Unit Training Barracks, Bathrooms, and Showers, reads thusly. Vignette. Following his transition from female to male, which did not include sex reassignment surgery, and gender marker change in the Deers program, a transgender soldier begins using male barracks, bathroom, and shower facilities because he did not undergo a surgical change, the soldier still has female genitalia. Well, then you're lying, calling her a he. <laughs> what a maroon. What a maroon. Soldiers with concerns were instructed to talk to, uh, you know, the commanding officers, just go up chain of command. Yeah, I'm sure that'll, that'll work out just great. Breitbart said it is reminiscent of the complaints of female swimmers on the same college team as this guy who calls himself Leah Thomas, pretends like he's a woman. UK Daily Mail had the story. See, this guy, this Thomas guy, real name was William Thomas, I think, um, never got the surgery. So when he takes off his female swimsuit in the locker room, Boy, that looks like a guy. And the women on the, 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 the swim team were complaining that he doesn't tr try to hide the fact that he's a guy, and he's actually attracted to women. And so they're kind of grossed out about it, and their swimming coach said, shut up. So, you know, it's sexual harassment. But um, see, a lot of feminists have become aware of the fact that the transgender 
movement is basically just trying to erase women. They're not happy about it. Now, some of them toe the party line. You know? Some of them toe the party line and have adopted the uh, politically correct terminology. Chest feeders, birthing persons, people with uteruses, instead of just calling women women. And... There are plenty of uh, politicians that have towed the party line. Matter of fact, I mean, there, there are people on Fox News that towed the party line. You know, I, a few weeks ago, um, they had uh, Bruce Jenner on. It was Sandra Smith and Bill Hemmer. And Bruce Jenner was talking about the importance of this uh, trans, transgender transition surgery actually mutilating the bodies of children who have not yet hit puberty. And Bill Hemmer and Sandra Smith did not push back on the endorsement of that child abuse, irrevocable child abuse. So that's where Fox News is now. Sean Hannity last year had Bruce Jenner on. He'd been on uh, The View earlier that day. Joy Behar kept on referring to him as a guy. Sean Hannity, the guy who, who always says, I'm not a Republican, I'm a conservative, says, well, Caitlin, I don't think Joey Behar was intentionally misgendering you. Oh, really, Sean? What do you, you, you say you're not a Republican, you're a conservative. What are you conserving? <sighs> Just a question. Pierre Corey, on an unrelated note, Pierre Corey um, is the doctor out of Wisconsin. The first one I ever heard talk about ivermectin. Yeah, he was um, in late 2020, he gave testimony to a subcommittee run by um, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson out of Wisconsin about ivermectin. That's how I found out about ivermectin. Anyway, he has a, a new article out in a website called realclearhealth.com, which is a sister publication to Real Clear Politics. And um, they do a lot of Real Clear websites. You got Real Clear Investigations, Real Clear Politics, Real Clear Policies, Real Clear Markets, Real Clear World, Real Clear Defense, Real Clear Energy, Health, Science, Religion, Education, History. It's just a, 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 an amazing Collection of websites. Anyway, uh, Pierre Corey, the other day, has an article at realclearhealth.com called Stop the War on Doctors. He says, anyone in America who deviates from the groupthink enforced by public health bureaucrats runs the risk of cancellation. Politicians, parents, comedians, teachers, now they're even coming after the doctors. He says, as a lung and ICU specialist, I have practiced medicine for 14 years and successfully treated more than 450 patients during the pandemic. Long before anyone had heard of COVID-19, I was studying and implementing cutting-edge methods to treat critically ill patients. I'm the senior editor 
of a best-selling textbook in my field, now in its second edition, which has been translated into seven languages. For my efforts, I now find myself on the receiving end of disciplinary sanctions from the American Board of Internal Medicine, who sent me a letter threatening suspension or revocation of board certification. The sin threatening to end my medical career was my unwillingness to go along with Fauci's monolithic vaccines above all else strategy. The failure of this approach is plain to see, and anyone with an ounce of curiosity knows there are many methods of treating the virus. Ivermectin is one of them. This cheap, readily available generic medicine is approved by the FDA for certain uses in humans, but not for COVID-19, despite 85 controlled trials from around the world demonstrating its effectiveness. In Brazil, the largest study to date found a reduction in COVID mortality of 70%. In India, the second most populated country in the world, the drug has been credited with near eradication of the disease. Studies attempting to discredit ivermectin have been debunked again and again. Other trials, such as the recent TOGETHER trial, are designed to fail from the start to drive a desired narrative. In the National Institutes of Health's ACTIV-6, despite starting the majority of parents on treatment after five days of COVID-19 symptoms at a lower than recommended dose, they found a statistically significant reduction in the time to recovery, particularly among the most severely ill. Unsurprisingly, major newspapers reported that the study showed ivermectin was ineffective. Yeah, why do they do that? Because they want to lie to you. You know? They lie to you. I mean, I, I think it's the same reason that the University of Arkansas medical system last year planted a fake news story um, about ivermectin being a bad thing. You know? Oh, by the way, uh, breaking news. President Trump is considering attending former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's funeral in Japan, saying every aspect of that man was very special. We had a very special relationship we're talking to his family. Oh, my goodness. Goodness, goodness, goodness. It's, um, it's heartbreaking to see a good man gunned down like that. It just is. But um, back to uh, Pierre Corey, uh, uh, you know, under the category of no good deed goes unpunished. Um, <clears throat> he says, despite ivermectin's proven effectiveness in the opinion of the ABIM, the American Board of Internal Medicine advocating for its usage is a form of disinformation 
and carries the penalty of losing one's medical license and livelihood. He says, throughout the pandemic, I've maintained an open mind, analyzed what works for patients, discussed strategies with fellow doctors, and conducted my own extensive research. When new data arose that changed my understanding, I admitted as much and changed course, like with the vaccines. If only the powers that be at the ABIM and our government could say, could say the same. Consider the evolution of accepted facts about COVID-19 safety measures from Fauci and his ilk. Despite government mandates, neither lockdowns nor cloth masks prevent transmission. They never have. Turns out former Surgeon General Jerome Adams had it right when he tweeted in March 2020 that masks are, quote, not effective in preventing general public from catching coronavirus, unquote. A comment for which he was pilloried. Well, now he says you got to wear a mask, right? We're only beginning to learn the impact of the societal costs of these early preventive measures, a price our children who are kept home from school will be paying for years. Second, there's no evidence the vaccine stopped COVID-19 despite the constant lecturing from the Biden administration and the mainstream media. In the United States and globally, cases continue to rise and fall without any correlation to the pace or percentage of population vaccinated. This is not what we are promised. In 2021, Fauci said vaccinated people were dead ends for the virus. And Joe Biden declared, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Today, approximately 110,000 cases are announced daily in America, where more than two-thirds of the population is fully vaccinated. There's a backlash brewing in America right now, and it goes beyond inflation rates and gas prices. People are tired of arrogant public officials and compromised institutions who believe they have all the answers but constantly get it wrong and make no apologies as they steamroll those who don't support the current narrative. The ABIM's sudden and suspiciously well-funded persecution of doctors who stray from the party line is only the latest example. Doctors on the ABIM's board and across the country need to stand up against this witch hunt. It's demeaning to honest doctors and dangerous to the patients we've dedicated our careers to serving. Amen, brother. It sure is. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I think we all know why. I think we all know why. So... It's, uh, I don't know, you know, what I do here is I try to um, let you know about things that are going on in our country, in our world, that you're probably not going to hear about elsewhere. And um, I don't ever want you to be able to say, well, Doc, why didn't you warn us? Why didn't you tell us? So that's what I try to do. 
Anyway, um, Biden administration sues Arizona over proof of citizenship voter law. Did you hear about that? Wall Street Journal has it. A little bit earlier this week, Justice Department says uh, Republican-backed law turns back the clock. State, rep- State Republicans say it's aimed at curbing fraud. Well, that's clearly what it's aimed at, and the Biden administration clearly does not want to curb fraud. Why do you think they're letting so many millions of people into this country? Um, illegally, how many of those people do you think they're going to try to get registered before... Um, before November of 2024. You know, a wise man once said, work like everything depends on you, pray like everything depends on God. This country is in uh, in bad shape. I don't know if we'll ever have another Republican president. I mean, I hope we will. But I remember in late 2020 when it was clear that um, the most famous United States senator from the state that I broadcast out of, Arkansas, Tom Cotton, made it clear he didn't care if the election had been stolen. And I called him out on the air. I said, look, you think you're running for president four years from now? Even if you got the nomination, which you won't, there's no way in the world you're going to get elected president if you just allow them to steal one. If you just allow them to steal, because let's face it, the evidence is that Donald Trump, of course, was cruising to an historic landslide. You had impromptu pro-Trump demonstrations breaking out of very blue areas of the country, like uh, Beverly Hills, California, New York City. So, I mean, well, Tom Cotton didn't want to hear about it. Hardly anybody else in Congress wanted to hear about it either. Yeah, let's just put that behind us and move forward and Trump was divisive, and uh, I'll run, and uh, I'll be better, and the Democrats and the media will treat me nice, and they treated him. Look, George W. Bush is no conservative. They called him Hitler. And you think they're not going to do the same thing to whoever the next Republican nominee is, whether he's conservative or not? No. But the point is not how the media treats him. The point is, will they be able to steal it again? Now, a court in Wisconsin just ruled that the unmonitored drop boxes are unconstitutional. They're against the law. You can't do that anymore. So that's good. That's good. 
But um, that because that, what I've been saying is the legal and political landscape will have to change in the swing states that they stole November 2020. So that's one down, four to go, right? So I, I, um, I don't know. I don't know if they have changed the laws to protect the elections from fraud in Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. I'm not sure about that. So, anyway, um, Tom Fenton. Tom Fenton over at Judicial Watch says the Pelosi Congress is hiding at least 271 emails pertaining to January 6, 2021 at Capitol Hill. They won't tell Judicial Watch that they include those of Michael Stenger, a key witness who just died a few days ago. He was a sergeant at arms. And nobody knows how he died. Pelosi Congress cites sovereign immunity to hide the emails in all 14,000 hours of January 6 videos. That's, uh, that's messed up. That's messed up. By the way, let me, if I may, I um, I came across something the other day that uh, kind of explains, I think, in a nutshell, what we're up against when it comes to um, political correctness. And I want to want to share that with you, but it, it's not all we're up against. Okay. Anyway, um, as usual, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show tweet of the day. Brought to you by Red River Your Way. RedRiverYourWay.com is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Tweet of the day from somebody uh, who goes by Nemesis2022. And it's a quote from a guy named Theodore Dalrymple from his book, Our Culture, What's Left of It. And he says, political correctness is communist propaganda writ small. In my study of communist societies, I came to the conclusion that the purpose of communist propaganda was not to persuade or convince, not to inform, nor to inform, but to humiliate. And therefore, the less it corresponded to reality, the better. 
Do you get that? Let me, let me run it by you again. The purpose of communist propaganda was not to persuade or convince, nor to inform, but to humiliate. And therefore, the less it corresponded to reality, the better. When people are forced to remain silent, when they are being told the most obvious lies, or even worse, when they are forced to repeat the lies themselves, they lose once and for all the, their sense of probity. All right, I know you're going to ask me. You ever kind of know what a word means, but you can't really define it? Probity is the quality of having strong moral principles, honesty and decency. See, the problem with communist propaganda, with being politically correct, to assent to obvious lies is to cooperate with evil and in some small way to become evil oneself. So when you see somebody like Sean Hannity pretend that Bruce Jenner has become a female. That's cooperating with evil. One standing to resist anything is thus eroded and even destroyed. See, when, when, when you see Bill Hemmer and Sandra Smith on Fox News not push back when Bruce Jenner talks about how important it is to do surgery on prepubescent children to irrevocably mutilate them, that, that's cooperating with evil. One standing to resist anything is thus eroded and even destroyed. A society of emasculated liars is easy, easy to control. I think if you examine political correctness, it has the same effect and is intended to. Uh, and that's a quote from Theodore Dalrymple, a book called Our Culture, What's Left of It. And it sounds like, sounds like it might be a pretty good book to check out. Um. Now, there's a corollary. There's a corollary to it, and it's um, something the great Christian leader Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in Germany. He was a Lutheran pastor in Germany who actually was part of the plot to try to take out Hitler, and he was killed executed in a concentration camp shortly before the Allies, um, shortly before the Allies uh, liberated the concentration camp. And somebody put the, um, the Bonhoeffer quote on Twitter in response to what the great Ali Beth Stuckey a podcaster with a lot more followers than I said about AOC, Alexandria Occasional Cortex. She said, AOC is one of the most toxic people in power, partly because she is malicious and partly because she is unintelligent. Weaponized stupidity is a dangerous tool. She says, I think her, superfic her superficiality and inability to speak coherently fools people into thinking she's harmless. But do but do not doubt the danger of dumb, especially dumb in, combined with lust for power. I know people say it's a trap to say she's not smart because it causes people to dismiss her when her terrible ideas need to be taken seriously, but I don't think she should be dismissed. I also think it's silly to pretend she is smart. Okay, so 
one of the people responded to Ali Beth Stuckey's comments with this quote from the great German Lutheran pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said Bonhoeffer spoke about her kind when he said, Stupidity is a more dangerous enemy of the good than malice. One may protest against evil. It can be exposed and, if need be, prevented by use of force. Evil always carries within itself the germ of its own subversion in that it leaves behind in human beings at least a sense of unease. On the other hand, against stupidity, we are defenseless. Bonhoeffer said it, not me. Bonhoeffer said it, not me. Somebody in the live stream with Podbean just said Tom Cotton got rid of Mark Pryor. Indeed, he did. On election night uh, 2014, I played a song as a special dedication to Mark Pryor. Uh, Manchester Orchestra. I've got friends in all the right places. I know what they want, and they don't want me to say. Yeah, I was glad that Tom Cotton got rid of Mark Pryor. I was saddened that he helped get rid of Donald Trump by not standing up against the obvious election fraud. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Anyway, um, so Brianna Morello on Twitter, is a news producer and journalist, uh, formerly with Fox Business Network, Newsmax, and um, even Major League Baseball. Earlier this week, she reached out to the FBI. She asked the Bureau several questions, including if they planned investigating Antifa and Jane's revenge for their assaults and threats on pro-life centers. You know, the... uh, Pregnancy Resource Centers around the country. Apparently, given the response she got from the FBI, apparently vandalism and assaulting law enforcement is protected by the First Amendment. Here's a quote from the FBI. The FBI can never open an investigation based solely on protected First Amendment protected activity. We cannot and do not investigate ideology. We focus on individuals. You know that's not true. We focus, they just don't uh, investigate leftists. We focus on individuals who commit or intend to commit violence and criminal activity that constitutes a federal crime or poses a threat to national security. The FBI does not and cannot designate domestic terrorist groups. Membership in domestic groups is not illegal in and of itself. In fact, it is protected by the First Amendment. To which uh, the great attorney Joseph McBride, Joseph D. McBride, attorney for some of the uh, January 6th political prisoners, said, well, 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 FBI. And also Brianna Morello said vandalism, trespassing, and threats are apparently protected uh, in the First Amendment, according to the FBI. Again, I don't know if you're hearing any of this anywhere else, but I feel like it's my duty to share it with you. I think part of the problem with a lot of um, conservative pundits 
including hosts on places like Fox News or nationally syndicated radio talk show hosts with big audiences, is when you get to the point where you make a lot of money, um, at some point you want to enjoy the fruits of your labor. And instead of having this compulsion to prepare for your show around the clock and dig up more stuff. The great John Cordillo over, and, but see, I'm not making a lot of money, so I'm just still not like a normal person. I'm doing show prep 24-7. The great John Cordillo over on Twitter has a, uh, a great point. He's former NYPD. He says, Never forget that Republican chairwoman uh, Rona Romney McDaniel, GOP leader Mitch McConnell, and GOP House leader Kevin McCarthy haven't said one negative word about Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, the two rhinos on the uh, Pelosi's January 6th commission. Just a thought. Julie Kelly, the great Julie Kelly over in American Greatness, said the other day, leading up to the anniversary, the 18-month anniversary of the so-called insurrection at the Capitol, January 6, 2021, she said, let's review what we still do not know. Okay, first of all, the identity of the pipe bomber or any related investigation, remember? FBI said they found pipe bombs in front of the RNC and the DNC, close to the Capitol. We also don't know The role of FBI, including informants and undercover agents embedded in the crowd and in so-called militia groups, January 6th, the Capitol. We still do not know who ordered the Capitol and D.C. Metro Police to attack the peaceful crowd outside the Capitol with explosives, including flashbang grenades and other weapons such as rubber bullets, chemical spray, and pepper balls. Yeah, two of the people who got attacked died that day. No, no police. No police died that day. No. Trump, pro-Trump protesters, peaceful protesters. Who gave the order to allow protesters into the Capitol building? Where are the 14,000 hours of surveillance video? Why did Sergeant-at-Arms for Pelosi and McConnell refuse pleas for extra help on January 6th, delaying deployment of National Guardsmen until after 5 p.m. that day? Why did Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser refuse offer for thousands of National Guardsmen? Where is public testimony of cops involved in lethal excessive force? Well, yeah. January 6th committee doesn't want to know about that. Where are Pelosi's records regarding January 6th and Mayor Bowser's and Capitol Police's and FBI's? Just like Russia Gate and quid pro quo impeachment, January 6th smoke is a cover-up for the regime's underlying fire. Release the videotapes. Thank you, Julie Kelly. Now, the great Victor Davis Hanson, who I first, uh, I'm sure I started reading his columns before I ever knew he was on Fox News as a regular guest. He has an article from the other day at American Greatness, amgreatness.com, entitled, Who Are the Real Insurrectionists? Okay? He says, there were 120 days in summer 2020 
Violent protesters destroyed some $2 billion with a B dollars in property and injured 1,500 police officers in riots that led to over 35 deaths because blue state mayors and governors saw Black Lives Matter and Antifa instigators as useful street soldiers. Most of those arrested were never tried in court. Street thugs paid no price for declaring themselves de facto owners of downtown areas of Seattle, which police themselves conceded were no-go zones. Why did public officials in blue states ignore the violence? They were certain that it enjoyed majority support among their left-wing constituencies. Indeed, some leftist icons cheered on the violence. Well after the failed attempt to storm the White House grounds in June 2020, the Democrat candidate for Vice President Kamala Harris warned us that protesters were not going to let up, and in fact they should not let up. Do you realize that? Do you remember that? So what did Kamala Harris mean by should not let up? when she knew numerous protests that summer had ended in terrible violence? Was she reckless in the manner Trump was said to be by encouraging a demonstration on January 6th? The architect of the 1619 Project, Nicole Hannah-Jones, assured the nation that vast destruction of someone else's property was not a real crime. Did you know that? CNN's Chris Cuomo gushed that violent demonstrations and riots were American traditions. Did you know that? So, were these national voices urging calm during weeks of violent rioting and rioting and looting? There were no investigations, no congressional committees, no voices of outrage from the left-wing establishment over months of such carnage. And indeed, Much of the organization of the violent protests was facilitated by social media that was apparently unbothered that the medium under their stewardship was used to torch and loot. Representative Maxine Waters. Remember her? Democrat California urged her followers to tail dog and get in the faces of Trump government officials to the point that they would lose their freedom to even be seen in public. She famously admonished. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them they're not welcome anymore anywhere. Remember that? So, um, yeah. Corporations. Again, boycotting events deemed to be not liberal in fears of being boycotted themselves. Not saluting the flag for professional athletes was considered patriotic. Saluting the flag was considered to be Insurrectionary? Mobs of leftists 
cheered on by Democrat guardies, began tearing down statues of Confederate generals, but only as a preliminary to defacing the Lincoln Memorial and other statues of Lincoln, Jefferson, and Frederick Douglass. From 2015 to 2016, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, with impunity, had wiped away thousands of her supposedly personal emails on a likely illegal private server to cover her tracks. She ordered her devices destroyed, despite many being under subpoena. Clinton also sought to warp the entire machinery of the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Her skullduggery was hidden behind three firewalls. The Democrat National Committee... The Perkins Coie legal firm and the Fusion GPS opposition research firm to mask her likely illegal payments had enlisted a foreign national and former spy, Christopher Steele, to assist her campaign by destroying Donald Trump. Now, Steele proved to be a clumsy, grifting con artist who tapped Hillary Clinton's money, her friends, and her former subordinates in concocting a fake dossier of gossip, lies, and slander aimed at rendering Trump unelectable. No matter. Steele used Clinton's State Department contacts and former government clients to compile and seed the lies among a toady media to undermine her political opponent and later sabotage the Trump presidency. The left, in revolutionary fashion, has waged a sustained and unapologetic unapologetic attack on constitutional norms and long-held institutions whenever it senses they no longer prove conducive to its own radical agendas. Thank you. Barack Obama declared during a funeral oration for the late Representative John Lewis, Democrat of Georgia, that the filibuster was racist and must end. Although as a senator... Barack Obama had used the filibuster and declared it to be essential. The Electoral College? When the so-called Blue Wall fell, it transmogrified from valuable to a bankrupt fossil at their Electoral College. In fact, the left has wanted to create two new blue states, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, to fast-track four left-wing senators and crammed through a national voting law to make the state's constitutional prerogative to require voter IDs illegal. Oh, by the way, there is no border. For two years, Joe Biden, again in true revolutionary fashion, has simply abrogated federal immigration law by fiat. In less than two years, he has welcomed three million illegal aliens without audit, or for that matter, COVID-19 tests or vaccinations. During what they call a pandemic, in which unvaccinated, unvaccinated federal employees and military personnel faced dismissal, Biden had taken an oath of office to faithfully execute the laws of the United States, but then shortly thereafter destroyed immigration laws as we have known them. No prior president has simply rendered an entire corpus of law, null and void. Fueled by leftist billionaires, the left waged a multi-year effort to elect big city district attorneys whose agendas were pure nihilism, 
to not enforce laws to release arrested criminals without indictments, to end cash bail, and prematurely release convicted and hardened lawbreakers. The guiding principle was the revolutionary theory that the law was a simple construct used against marginalized peoples and the poor and therefore simply could be ignored or discarded. There was no longer free speech on college campuses. Guests who voice minority opinions are in danger of being shouted down or put into physical danger with a near certainty that their attackers will face few, if any, consequences. Safe spaces, dormitories, and graduation ceremonies are often racially exclusive, all-knowingly in violation of the spirit and letter of once-vaunted civil rights legislation. At many colleges, faculty and potential faculty are asked to write diversity statements, apparently in emulation of the old Joe McCarthy loyalty oaths that likewise served both to eliminate any dissent and to frighten away would-be apostates. Any dissident professor will have his biography thoroughly scanned for thought crimes and then be libeled as a racist or sexist as a clear warning to others to keep silent. There is a revolutionary war now being waged against the Supreme Court because it no longer characteristically legislates from the bench. If the court was once beloved as an iconic institution that was a sort of liberal judiciary, legislature, and executive all in one, it is now utterly despised as counter-revolutionary. Indeed, it is declared illegitimate and its rulings to be ignored. Former law professor Senator Elizabeth Warren screens about a need to pack the court an insurrectionary attempt to end 160 years of judicial law and custom that would be impossible without first ending the 180-year-old filibuster rule. Senator Chuck Schumer called out Justice Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh by name at the doors of the Supreme Court, issuing biblical warnings of violence to both when he said, you won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. So what sort of force did a U.S. senator refer to by screaming to a mob about what might hit the justices or when he further threatened that the two, quote, have released the whirlwind and you'll pay the price? What price? What whirlwind? Did such physical threats incite would-be nuts to seek out a court justice, as in the recent case of 26-year-old Nicholas John Roski, arrested armed near the home of Justice Kavanaugh and who currently faces the charge of, of attempting to murder an associate justice of the U.S. Supreme Court? Illegally leaking rough drafts of future opinions is now not unlawful, but a voice of conscience, as long as it is seen as another effective leftist tool to intimidate conservative justices. Leftists, egged on by Democrat politicians, now routinely mass, circle, shout, and seek to intimidate at the homes of conservative Supreme Court justices a felony violation that is never prosecuted. Joe Biden, who claimed Trump showed insufficient respect for the judiciary, now, while abroad, savagely attacks the U.S. Supreme Court 
and off-topic rants before his smiling foreign hosts. In some, laws are made to be irrelevant and to be ignored by states, cities, and counties at will, depending on their usefulness or impediments to the left's agenda. Indeed, leftists are at times states' rights extremists. They attack the federal government's authority on immigration issues and simply nullify it, as evidenced by 550 sanctuary city jurisdictions in blue states designed to render inert federal immigration law. Yet at other times, the left seeks to crush states' rights. Right now, it's calling for the federal government, in violation of the Hyde Amendment, to nullify states' rights to establish abortion laws by creating abortion clinics on federal military bases and national parks inside red states. That is, in states where about 10% of the nation's yearly abortions occur. The common denominators are not principles, nope, but only the retention of power and the notion that law is fluid and gains legitimacy only when advancing leftist dogma. Former Obama administration director of national intelligence James Clapper and CIA director John Brennan both lied under oath without legal consequences to the Congress. The FBI itself has descended into a sort of revolutionary police force rather than a disinterested investigative body focusing mostly on interstate and federal crimes. The fired former director, James Comey, feigned amnesia or ignorance 245 times in his responses under oath to a House committee. The subsequent interim director, Andrew McCabe, admittedly lied three times to federal investigators and likely discussed wearing a wire to entrap the President of the United States. He was never charged with any federal crime. And FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith altered a federal affidavit to warp a FISA court hearing. Former FBI Director Robert Mueller claimed under oath he had no idea what the Steele dossier or Fusion GPS was, even though arguably they were the goads that prompted his own 22-month-long investigation. There's no need to review the creepy careers and texts of FBI lawyer Lisa Page and her paramour FBI agent Peter Strzok, other than to note both used FBI resources to advance political agendas. The entire agency was knee-deep in fueling the Russian collusion hoax, itself a veritable revolutionary attempt to destroy a political campaign, a presidential transition, and a presidency. In the fashion of the former East German Stasi, the FBI hounds political opponents on the right by surveilling parents at school board meetings, sending a SWAT team to arrest a flamboyant Trump supporter, Roger Stone, arriving at the house of journalist James O'Keefe in the deep of night to confiscate his files and devices, and putting former White House advisor Peter Navarro in veritable shackles. The common denominator is the FBI devolving into a retrieval service for the Biden family syndicate, where, whether by putting on ice Hunter Biden's incriminating laptop or hounding out Ashley Biden's lurid diary or intimidating critics of Joe Biden. 
Yet when asked to produce relevant cell phones of possibly wayward agents, the FBI claims that such data was erased, shrugs, and just doesn't comply. Apparently, the FBI leadership fears the progressive Washington political bureaucratic media nexus far more than it fears the consequences of violating the law that it's actually sworn to uphold. Retired four-star admirals and generals no longer just revolve out of service to woke corporate boards and lobbying firms. Now they must first prepare their trajectories by violating the Uniform Code of Military Justice and damning their commander-in-chief and thus virtue signaling their uh, bankable corporate orthodoxy. As a result, the left-wing media and elite have dropped their traditional dislike of such federal authorities, be they the FBI, the CIA, or the Pentagon. Indeed, the left has come to love those with badges and guns, but solely as a revolutionary force far more efficient than the clumsy Congress in greenlighting their progressive agendas and making life hell for their opponents. As far as rejecting the outcomes of federal and state elections, for leftist insurrections, the validity of an election hinges on whether the left is a declared winner or loser. Once Hillary Clinton lost the election in 2016, her opponent became illegitimate. She joined the resistance and later advised Joe Biden to reject the ballot tally if he lost the popular vote. No one claimed she was endangering hallowed institutions or sounding insurrectionary. Or sounding insurrectionary. For Time journalist Molly Ball, the billionaire effort to undermine the 2020 election by infusing hundreds of millions of dollars of dark money to usurp the work of selected county registrars was a giddy conspiracy. For former Obama Pentagon lawyer Rosa Brooks in 2017, the 11-day tenure of newly inaugurated President Donald Trump was already an occasion to weigh the relative advantages of either impeachment, invocation of the 25th Amendment, or a military coup to uh, remove him. Yeah, that's what she said. That's what she said. Failed Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams became a left-wing cult figure by touring the country, claiming she was the real governor of her state who somehow, nonetheless and illegitimately, had lost her campaign by 50,000 votes. As far as violence goes, the left has descended into full assault pornography over the last few years. Former Vice President and Uniter... Joe Biden boasted that he would like to beat up President Trump. He said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. He also said, he's the bully that used to make fun when I was a kid that I stutter, and I'd smack him in the mouth. Well, you didn't stutter. It's a lie. But anyway. Do we remember when Senator Cory Booker, another 2020 presidential hopeful, said, quote, my testosterone sometimes makes me want to feel like punching him, talking about Trump, which would be bad for this elderly, out-of-shape man that he is if I did that, this physically weak specimen. Robert De Niro sim similarly announced that he had his sights on Trump. He said, I'd like to punch him in the face. Do such threats have consequences? Maybe. On the day Trump was inaugurated, Madonna 
incited a crowd outside the White House by warning she had thought of blowing up the White House. Comedian Kathy Griffin trumped that that pardon me. Comedian Kathy Griffin trumped that in a video in which she held up a facsimile of a decapitated Trump head. Few people today remember James T. Hodgkinson, a former Bernie Sanders campaign worker, and his 2017 attempt to assassinate Republican congressman at a practice for a charity baseball game. So yes, let us fear that democracy is dying in media darkness. Real insurrectionists are seeking to dismantle the Constitution to end centuries-long customs and traditions to justify the use of political violence and to disobey all the laws they find inconvenient. Now, that's Victor Davis Hanson over at American Greatness. Victor Davis Hanson at amgreatness.com with the article entitled, Who Are the Real Insurrectionists? Victor Davis Hanson, a distinguished fellow of the Center for American Greatness, and the Martin and Illy Anderson Senior Fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution, wrote an, ama- an amazing, was wrote, written a, a number of amazing bro- books. One of the most recent is The Second World Wars, How the First Global Conflict Was Fought and Won. Victor Davis Hanson. Yeah, just a remarkable guy. Um, Steve Kirsch. Steve Kirsch over at his Substack has a much shorter, much shorter article called Two and Three-Year-Old Kids with Seizures is the New Normal. Subtitle, I'm getting multiple reports from my nurse friends about kids two and three years old having seizures. It is only happening on vaccinated kids and symptoms start two to, three, two to five days after the COVID vaccine. And he says, doctors are mystified by a rash of seizures, rashes, etc., happening to two and three-year-old kids. The only thing these kids have in common is that they were given the COVID vaccine just days earlier, two to five days earlier. The doctors cannot figure out what's causing the seizure since it couldn't be the vaccine, since, of course, those are safe and effective. The medical staff is not permitted to talk about the cases to the press or on social media, or they'll be fired. One nurse posted something to the effect of, how is this legal? I had to paraphrase to protect the poster. This is why you're hearing these reports from me. They can't fire me. There's nothing on the mainstream media about this since the nurses and doctors aren't allowed to talk about it. This will all come out someday, but for now, everyone is keeping quiet about it, and the doctors are instructed to convince the parents that it isn't vaccine-related and that they are the only ones having the problem. Because, of course, that's how, uh, that's how science works. Man, oh, man, oh, man. Did you hear about uh, Carlos Santana? Yeah, Steve Kirsch has a little blurb about him, too. Carlos Santana is just heat exhaustion and dehydration. Happens all the time. Official explanation for Santana himself. He just forgot to drink water. What do you think? Here's what it says. Rock legend Carlos Santana was overtaken by heat exhaustion and dehydration 
during a concert Tuesday, July 5th evening in Michigan. The guitar great was taken from the show at Pine Knob Music Theater, formerly DTE Energy Music Theater, an outdoor amphitheater in Clarkston, some 40 miles northwest of Detroit. Carlos was taken to the emergency department at McLaren Clarkston for observation is doing well. That was announced by Santana's manager, Michael Vrionis, uh, who said the show for tomorrow, July 6th, the pavilion at Star Lake in Burgesstown, Pennsylvania, will be postponed to a later date. More details are followed through Live Nation. But Santana says it's just dehydration. He went on Twitter and said, to one and all, thank you for your precious prayers. Cindy and I, we are good, just taking it easy. I forgot to eat and drink water, so I dehydrated and passed out. Blessings and miracles to you all. So Steve Kirsch on the Substack says he just forgot to drink water. Of course, what do you think? I just think that How can that possibly be the case? He's an adult. He is a senior citizen. Um, how's that possible? Forgot to drink water? Yeah, I kind of doubt it. Got another substack here called It's Time for Groups of Healthcare Workers to Meet with Members of Congress. Subtitle Members of Congress are hearing nothing from members of the mainstream medical community. It's time for this to change. I'm going to facilitate making this happen with your help. So, uh, Steve Kirsch, K I R S C H, Steve Kirsch over at Substack. You might want to check him out especially if you are a member of the healthcare community or ever uh, interact with healthcare. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that's... You know, when I was running for governor, I used to say, hey, they're killing people in the hospitals. I had a friend who was a family law attorney who went to a clinic of a major hospital in Little Rock, summer of 2021, Tested positive for COVID. They didn't give her anything. Told her, going home, come back if you feel worse. Three or four days later, her daughter drove her back to the hospital itself. They said, oh, we're sorry. You missed the three-day window of opportunity for treatment. Well, come on in. We'll admit you and put you in a bed. Eventually, they put her on a ventilator, and then she died. So they're killing people. Um, and it's called murder, and there will be a reckoning, and I don't know what the reckoning is going to look like. Um, we're all going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for what we've done here on this earth. When we leave this earth, our only hope is that uh, the Father sent his Son to die for our sins on the cross. He commands us to repent and obey him. But um, 
you know, I hope that there will be Nuremberg-style trials in this country and other countries where people have clearly, people in the healthcare community have clearly murdered people by refusing to treat them. But we'll see. Alicia Finley on uh, Monday, July 4th, had the opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal, Why the Rush for Toddler Vaccines. Subheadline was COVID was clearly a health emergency for adults in 2020. By contrast, the urgency now feels political. And I remember um, when I saw the link to this on Twitter, somebody said that they buried the lead. They're talking about what was in the uh, the ninth paragraph. More troubling, vaccinated toddlers in Pfizer's trial were more likely to get severely ill with COVID than those who received a placebo. Pfizer claimed most severe cases weren't clinically significant, whatever that means, but this was all the more reason that the FDA should have required a longer follow-up before authorizing the vaccine for Six-month-old to five-year-olds. Yep, that's true. That's true. But um, folks don't want to talk about it, do they? No, they don't. No, they don't. So was the governor of Arkansas paying attention to what I would say on the campaign trail when I was campaigning for the Republican nomination to uh, replace him? I wonder, because here just a couple of days ago, he went on social media and said, the record surplus from the last fiscal year shows the state of Arkansas is collecting more than it needs in taxes. Really? Well, that's a first. I mean, I said it for three and a half months, but he certainly hasn't said it before. He says, we have the ability to provide additional tax relief, and I have called a special session for the week of August 8th to consider tax relief. Well, how about that? Where on earth would he have gotten that idea from? Amazing, isn't it? Just amazing. Stephen Salzberg over at uh, Forbes has the article, the U.S. is funding a massive virus hunt that might cause another pandemic. Great idea. All right, what's this? And there is a picture here. From 1974. Field technicians using a box and long sticks to catch bats beneath a railroad bridge for an, uh, for an arbovirus study, 1974. The image is courtesy of the CDC. So this article at Forbes, he says, I just learned the U.S. Agency for International Development, called USAID, is pouring $125 million into an effort to seek out novel viruses in remote areas of the world. This is pretty much exactly what uh, 
many scientists, including me, have been warning against for years. How did I miss this? It was announced last October, along with articles about how excited Washington State University was to lead the project and how pleased the University of Washington was to go out and hunt down animals that were carrying dangerous new viruses. In any case, I know about it now, and I'm joining the voices here and here, for example, and he, he links to a Washington Post op-ed and a, uh, something over at effectivealtruism.org that are warning this is a truly terrible idea. USAID's announcement seems utterly oblivious to the enormous dangers posed by the program. Their own headline says they want to find viruses that could cause pandemics. The program called Deep VZN, V is in Victor, Z is in Zebra N, and kind of acronym for deep vision, get it? is funding scientists in the U.S. and in Africa, Asia, and Latin America to venture deep into unpopulated areas of the jungle and to find animals carrying viruses that might infect humans. They're particularly interested in viruses that could cause the next pandemic. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, nothing, says USAID and the scientists who are happily taking the $125 million in funding. They'll be super careful. So we should all be pleased with how the government is preparing for the next pandemic. And then he said, uh, no. As I wrote last year. And he links to an article from October of last year that he wrote called Leave the Bats Alone. It's a long past time to halt gain-of-function research on deadly viruses. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. But... Again, just like the gas prices going up, we come to the point where we think, well, this must be intentional, right? Uh, uh, Thorstein Siglogson over at DailySkeptic.org. Daily Skeptic, question everything, stay safe, live free. Has a new article out entitled, Serious Adverse Effects from COVID Vaccines, Very High, No Other Vaccine Comes Close says former CDC Vaccine Safety Committee member. Dr. Martin Kaldorf, until recently professor at Harvard Medical School and member of the Drug Safety and Risk Management Advisory Committee, has now concluded, based on new studies, that the safety profile of mRNA vaccines against COVID-19 is concerning. Dr. Kaldorf has until now been supportive of the vaccines for older people, as an example. As a member of the CDC Vaccine Safety Committee, he went against the CDC in April 2021, arguing the Johnson & Johnson vaccine should not be withheld from older Americans, despite concerns regarding side effects in younger people. He's always said those with previous infection and children do not need to be vaccinated. However, in a new article... Published by the Brownstone Institute, Dr. Kaldorf refers to two recent studies. First, a new study uh, by Freeman based on trial data from Moderna and Pfizer, which shows one serious side effect per 800 vaccinated persons. This, in Kaldorf's words, is very high for a vaccine. No other vaccine on the market even comes close. Dr. Kaldorf also refers to a recent study by Christine Benn, 
that shows the mRNA vaccines do not lead to any reduction in all-cause mortality based on the same data as the Freeman study. While Dr. Kaldorf says the mRNA vaccines may be a benefit to people over 70, when it comes to others, this is his conclusion. He says, it is unclear from the clinical trial data whether the benefits outweigh the risks for working-age adults who have not been vaccinated and who have not already had COVID. This is true both historically for the original COVID variants and currently for the newer ones. Gee, I guess they're going to have to get another uh, variant ready for uh, election time, November, right? <clears throat> the great Raheem Kassam, R.J. Kassam, editor-in-chief of the National Pulse and writer of irate Substack says, we know it's from China. We know it's from Fauci-funded labs. We know it was aided by researchers from the UK and the US. We know it was covered up by the World Health Organization. We know who advised the communist China lockdowns, who being World Health Organization, we know it was imported. My, the, the, we know the, uh, the microplastic masks were imported from China. See, they're finding little bits of plastic in the lungs of people who wore these masks for too long. We know which treatments don't work and which make it worse. We know they mandated shoddy vaccines. We know they killed economies. And we know no one has been held accountable. Yep. We know all those things, don't we? And yet, who's going to do anything about it? Huh? Who? The great Kurt Schlichter. Townhall.com says the establishment is running out of cannon fodder for its woke military. Oh, yes, children. Jump out of a perfectly good airplane, charge a, ma a machine gun nest, be stationed at Fort Irwin. These are just three of the myriad miseries American patriots are willing to endure to, to defend our country. But today's military is asking too much of our young people, as evidenced by the crashing recruitment rates that threaten to deplete a military already running short of soldiers have our young people suddenly turned from heroes to zeros, ne'er-do-well heirs of the brave warriors who confronted the forces of tyrannical gun control at Lexington and Concord? No, 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 no. The kids are all right. The problems lie echelons above. Here's a little leadership secret that's actually not a secret at all to competent commissioned and non-commissioned officers. There are no bad cohorts of Soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coast guardsmen, and whatever the Space Force people are called. They're only bad leaders, and we have the worst military leadership in American history starting right at the top with a commander-in-chief who's less like Ike than like Beavis. Oh, Beavis and Butthead. In fact, and this rips me up to say, because I would not trade my almost 20 year, 27 years in the Army for anything, the reluctance to enlist of the traditional normal Americans who are most likely to serve and who are the most desirable for service is entirely rational. You do have an obligation to serve your country in some way, the military being the highest and best way for those who are able, 
but you do not have an obligation to do so if your life is going to be squandered by a leadership whose strategies are a disaster, whose priorities are not the defense of this country, but some sort of bizarre pan-global progressive ideology, and who will use you as a guinea pig in freakish and morally bankrupt social experiments, all while failing to fulfill even the most basic obligations of the leaders to the led. Our military today is failing to meet its recruiting goals because it has failed to earn the trust of normal Americans who would otherwise be inclined to raise their hands. Colonel Schlichter says, as I discuss in my new nonfiction book from Regnery, we'll be back the fall and rise of America. Our military was once great. And here's the quote from the book. I was there at America's pinnacle, present present temporarily and physically, right at the very peak of American power, but I did not know it then. In fact, it would not become clear to me until decades later. On February 24th, 1991, I was a few miles west of Hafar, Hafar al-Batin in the Saudi Arabian desert along Tapline Road, at the main command post of the mighty Seven Corps with my chemical decontamination platoon when President Bush declared the ground war over on February 27, 1991. After about 100 hours, I did not understand what it meant except in terms of my approximately 20-man unit. We knew we had won. The vaunted Republican Guard with its Soviet gear had been swept away by the unstoppable power of the Seven Corps' American tanks and the attached Brit Armored Division. Not just swept away, annihilated, defeated, utterly and completely, so decisively that our potential opponents around the world watched in stunned horror as it dawned on them what Americans could do. It could do anything it wanted. I was micro-focused on the platoon's mission, so when the final victory was announced, I did not realize what was truly happening in the macro. I understood that I was an insignificant cog in a vast machine that had delivered our countrymen a remarkable triumph, but I would not fully appreciate the significance of the moment until 30 years later when watching an unrecognizable U.S. military humiliated in the debacle at Kabul Airport, I saw America at its post-war Nadir, unquote. He says, if we want enough quality recruits, we need to make our military great again. He says, I was present at the last great American military victory, and while I personally contributed nothing significant to it, I still highly recommend the experience over the grotesque betrayal of our warriors We saw when Biden abandoned Afghanistan, 13 dead. And for what? It was an operation that, to the extent that it was planned at all, was so poorly planned, it's hard to believe that no one was fired. But then, that's not really so hard to believe at all. Accountability is for an E3 who leaves his M4 in the crapper, but promotions are for the bigwigs who had months of warning but still failed to ensure adequate infrastructure was in place at an airport so that a bomber could walk within 15 meters of our troops and blow himself and them up. I got to turn the fan on. 
Yes, it gets warm in the home studio. On the tactical side, the battalion level, our troops executed as well as could be expected in the horrible situation their senior leaders had led them into. But if you're a young American thinking of serving your country and you see that fiasco, are you going to rush out to sign on the line that is dotted? Our leadership is painfully frivolous regarding the most serious business, business of our government. What's the bigger deal, China or the weather? The weather. And he links to, I'm not kidding now, the official Army website, U.S. Army, releases its climate strategy. Ridiculous. Hey, if our greatest strategic challenge is really climate change, Maybe you might want to spend four years of your life enjoying yourself instead of sloshing through mud. Let them go enlist some uh, worshipers of Gaia from Santa Monica or Manhattan. Yeah, that'll happen. The fact is, the kind of middle America patriots who make up our military, the very same people, the ruling class, our military serves, call deplorables. Oh, and who needs to earn GI Bill benefits when our crusty-in-chief and his party want to dump the tuition debts of students who fought the Battle of the Bong at Gumbo State on the suckers who paid their own way. Serving our country is great, but the key component of that is the our country part. Right now, our country is being invaded over our southern border. But if you were to enlist, you would not be going there to protect your home. It seems from the giddy excitement of the bipartisan fusion party, hat tip to Michael Walsh, about this new opportunity to spill other people's kids' blood, that you might get the chance to defend Ukraine's borders. Now, you will not be joined by anyone with a Ukrainian flag emoji in their Twitter bio, and you will go into battle knowing the discos at Kiev are packed as we defend their country. These are not selling points to the kind of smart young people we need filling our ranks in the military. Now, there is an off chance that you might be engaged in a necessary war where American interests are truly at issue, but you'll also realize that despite a nearly trillion-dollar-a-year budget, our equipment is still aging and falling apart. And while there's always money to celebrate Pride Month, there's never enough training ammo. That social justice nonsense is another reason we can't recruit would you want to waive your civil rights and sleep in the dirt to be part of an institution that hates you? Would you feel like joining an organization whose leadership is very, very focused on the, the mythical white privilege and those scary insurrectionists? Remember, if you are conservative, you are an official extremist threat. If you're a believer, you run afoul of the, mor the official morality of critical race theory. If you think men can't become women because they feel like it, you are a horrible bigot, and you will be ordered to lie and use the pronoun du jour or else. Oh, and if you won't submit to a vaccine that has not done much of what it has promised, out you go with no pension. What a disastrous betrayal by our leadership. Maybe the people who think we ought to fight all their ridiculous wars should go do it themselves. Let's see some name tapes with Cheney or Bush or Obama on them. Of course, credit is due to Biden. 50% of his sons served honorably and were not tossed out day one for drugs. 
hey, if this was baseball at 500, President Gumby would be the greatest batter of all time. Maybe the people who presume to lead our troops should stop trying to convert steely-eyed killers into neurotic Wellesley sophomores, complete with a long roster of microaggressions to focus on instead of training to win wars, something we have not done decisively in 30 years. And maybe our leaders need to stop tossing out fine troopers because of a flu shot. But they won't do that as long as our president is this half-wheat Pardon me. But they won't do that as long as our president is this half-wit dust puppet. As Will Be Back points out, his book, the key to revitalizing our military is electing a president who will confront the Pentagon with a whip and a chair. The Joint Chiefs, fired! The heads of military schools and war colleges, fired! Everyone in a slot with a title that includes the word diversity, inclusion, or equity, fired if a civilian... Transferred to a real job, if not. Until then, it's sad that so many of the great potential warriors our country produces will take a hard pass on the military. But then, in the face of the total failure of the military's leadership, starting right at the top, it's understandable, if regrettable. We need a serious president who will spend serious political capital, and more importantly, Serious time fixing what is broken. It can be done, but until it gets done, don't expect enough of the kind of troops you would actually want to enlist to flock down to the recruiting office. That is the great Colonel Kurt Schlichter over townhall.com. The establishment is running out of cannon fodder for its woke military. Great article. By the way, did you know that um, Mitt Romney wrote an article in the Atlantic magazine the other day. And in it, he said, Joe Biden is a generally good man, but he has yet been unable to break through our national malady of denial, deceit, and distrust. A return of Donald Trump would feed the sickness, probably rendering it incurable, unquote. Okay, now... I want to go back to a quote that I have had from George Carlin from time to time. There's a club, and you and I are not in it. People like Mitt Romney and Lindsey Graham, Republican senators in name only from uh, Utah and South Carolina, respectively, both talk about what a wonderful guy Joe Biden is. So they have more in common with this horrible Marxist Democrat pedophile, Joe Biden, than they do with their voters, you and me. So what does that tell you? For anybody to be able to say Joe Biden is a genuinely good man, I mean, especially a guy, you know, elected as a Republican, I mean, so Mitt lied to us, right, when he's running for president in 2012. I'm a severe conservative. I like to put the dog on top of the car, go for a family vacation. <laughs> really, man? I mean, really? He was lying the whole time. 
and he's got some some connections to uh, Ukraine too, right? Thomas Massey, one of the best members of the United States Congress, he's from Kentucky. He was out there uh, on July fourth and said this on Twitter. Got this from a friend. He said. We must, should, and need to remember Independence Day, not once a year, but every day of our lives. We should be living the Declaration of Independence etched in our minds, embedded in our souls. Wow, that's a great start. He said, either we learn to govern ourselves or we will be ruled by others. Our rights will become privileges conveyed only if we are obedient to the masters who have ceded sovereignty over us. He said the greatest, most earnest responsibility in our lives is to have the maturity and wisdom to govern ourselves, which also requires the understanding that maybe the least just, most immoral act is to declare the right to rule or govern another person. Our Constitution was consented to solve a very limited set of collective action problems and only preserves its legitimacy by never trampling or encroaching upon our inalienable rights. Our endowment created from nature not by government. The abridgment of the inalienable rights by government or by any third party, by force or coercion, is an act of murder. He says it represents a death sentence against the mind, body, and soul of another person. If we do not understand that, we dishonor the Declaration of Independence. He says everything, well, he, he quotes Albert Einstein, everything that is really great and inspiring is created by the individual who can labor in freedom. Then he quotes Moshe Dayan, former great military leader in Israel back in the 60s, freedom is the oxygen of the soul. And then he quotes Thomas Jefferson who said, what country can preserve its liberties if its rulers are not warned from time to time that their people preserve the spirit of resistance, let them take arms. And he quotes Henry David Thoreau, who said, any fool can make a rule, and any fool will mind it. Again, he quotes Thomas Jefferson, if a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and will never be. So that's a problem. So many Americans are ignorant. They don't know what's going on. They're not interested in what's going on. Trump tried to change that. Again, Thomas Massey quotes Malcolm X, who said, if you're not ready to die for it, put the word freedom out of your vocabulary. He quotes John Adams, who said, you will never know how much it has cost my generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make a good use of it. Thomas Jefferson, I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. Benjamin Franklin, whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. George Bernard Shaw, liberty means responsibility. That is why most men dread it. Now, George Bernard Shaw was a bad guy, but at least that's a good quote. 
Albert Camus, the only way to deal with an unfree world is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. Thomas Paine, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. Benjamin Franklin again, who said they would give up an essential liberty for temporary security, deserve neither liberty or security. Then Abraham Lincoln, all honor to Jefferson, to the man who, in the concrete pressure of a struggle for national independence by a single people, had the coolness, forecast, and capacity to introduce into a merely revolutionary document an abstract truth applicable to all men and all times, and so to embalm it there, that today and in all coming days it shall be a rebuke and a stumbling block to the very harbingers of reappearing tyranny and oppression. Wow. Strong stuff, brother. Strong stuff. And I know I know that um, Independence Day was Monday and now it is Saturday. Five days later, but as he said, we should... uh, We should have that independence in our hearts every day. You know, I, uh, I hope someday that Thomas Massey gets higher office because he's, he's one of the good guys. He is clearly one of the good guys. By the way, uh, New Scientist magazine has an article out entitled Solar Storms May Cause Up to 5,500 Heart-Related Deaths in a Given Year. Subtitle, in an approximate 11-year cycle, the sun blasts out charged particles and magnetized plasma that can distort Earth's magnetic field, which may disrupt our body clock and ultimately affect the heart. Dr. Eli David responds, and Dr. David is... Quite the um, professional researcher, lecturer, and entrepreneur, co-founder at Deep Institute Society. Also on the Forbes Technology Council. Dr. Eli David responded to new scientists saying that uh, solar storms may cause up to 5,500 heart-related deaths in a given year. He said, so all the myocarditis and the huge surge in sudden adult death syndrome is because of solar storms and unrelated to you-know-what. P.S. Are they that stupid or do they think we're that stupid? Mm. I think they probably think we're that stupid. That would be my guess. Buzz Patterson. Columnist over the Red State, um, retired Air Force, the guy who used to carry the nuclear football for a couple of years while Clinton was president, said the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve is a national security issue. The fact that Joe Biden is selling out 
our oil to Asia and Europe is a crime. We could produce that oil ourselves as we were prior to his presidency. He's paying off national debt at the direct expense to our citizens. While you're paying big bucks at the pump, Chinese and Indians are pumping your gas. That is impeachable. Especially since he's selling something like a million barrels to a company in China that his son Hunter has a piece of. I mean, to me, that's kind of a big deal, you know? To me, it's kind of a big deal. It is impeachable. But good luck. Good luck any uh, Republicans calling for it. So have you seen the viral video of the guy attacking, attacking the old man in a, in a little convenience store in New York City? And fortunately, there was a woman who was diverting the guy's attention, the attacker's attention, just long enough, putting her hand through the window, trying to pay for something or whatever. So the old man was able to pull a knife and stab the guy who was attacking him, right? So the prosecutor there in New York City who's letting violent criminals go left, right, Alvin Bragg, prosecutes this guy for a clear act of self-defense for murder. Guy named Jose Alba being charged with secondary murder by George Soros-funded prosecutor Alvin Bragg for stabbing a violent ex-con to death who came into the bodega he was working in and attacked him. The absolute state of New York, the absolute state of progressivism. And they wonder why people are leaving. He committed lawful self-defense against an ex-con and is currently being held on a $250,000 bail in Rikers Island, which houses New York's most dangerous prisoners. GoFundMe even took down his bail fund. Soros is getting exactly what he paid for. I mean, it is clear self-defense from the uh, from the video. There's no question about it. I, I, I believe that he has made bail now, but still, never should have been arrested, never should have been charged. There's no way. Information overload Saturday. Um... I got another podcast to do before the end of the week. Catching up. I had a lot going on. So I'm looking forward to doing more information overload. Maybe we'll have an information overload Sunday. Stranger things have happened, right? Hey, you've been listening to episode 190 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, Directed by Mick Messy, this has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier the 10th. Well, that's the way it is. Saturday, July 9th, 2022.